Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the 3304 Sports Podcast. I'm Colby Armbergson, joined alongside, of course, by Nick Broyden. We're going to have a mostly college-focused episode here. We will touch up on something uh, that happened uh, recently in the NFL world. That's what we'll lead off with. But we have a lot of college to talk about. Um, We are going to be transitioning for college sports, really more talking a bit about baseball and softball, as that's really going to be your two big sports of the spring and then into, like, the early portions of the summer. Um, I mean, we, we, I'll know how frequently we'll talk about, it, but I do want to keep you guys informed. I do want to keep you guys updated, particularly on the softball end, as we are one of the better teams in the nation. Um, but then, of course, we have March Madness to wrap up and a little bit of a way too early top 25 that was released, you know, hours basically after the uh, championship game was done and dusted. And kind of looking at what ESPN currently has, uh, maybe talking about some of the interesting teams there, and then ultimately coming up with what our way too early top four would be. So without further ado, Nick has been a, a, about a week since we recorded, but ultimately we, we you know, we, we were able to get back on more of a Monday, Wednesday schedule this week. I, I, it looks like it'll be a little bit of a Wednesday, Friday here for us recording wise. Uh, but how'd you enjoy your weekend, man? Uh, it was pretty good. I mean, relaxing and not much going on. I just like kind of was just watching my teams, watching March Madness go on. Not really too much, you know, so you got, you got to see the uh, the uh, Final Four and then the championship game matchup. I know we'll get into that later. But and, uh, overall, pretty good, pretty relaxing, man. How was yours? Well, mine was definitely a bit stressful because of uh, some of those games. But oh, ultimately, yeah, ultimately, it was a fun weekend. It was great to enjoy. And... Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more of it when we get into basketball, but it's just I, I'm I'm a happy dude. So without any further ado, here we'll get into the one non-college topic of this episode, just so where we don't like just let this linger. Uh, we'll probably have another mock. You know, we I, th- I think we avoided the mock draft last week uh, for the first time in like basically you know a, a, a month or at least three weeks that we didn't have to. But I think this week we might have to hit back on the trails with it specifically because we have a new team with multiple picks here in the first round, with that being the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the breakdown of the trade is as followed. The Eagles are sending their 16th and 19th pick in uh, – 16th, 19th, and 194th pick in the NFL draft to the New Orleans Saints to receive the 18th pick in the NFL draft, the 101st pick in the third uh, – which is in the third round, the 237th pick, which is in the seventh round, and a first-rounder next year with a second rounder in 2024. So ultimately we'll go ahead and break down a little bit of that value here, but uh, you know, how, how's it looking here for either side? So I didn't really know much about the saints or the Eagles situation, but I, I give their grades as they are respectively. And for me, I give the Eagles about an, I give them like an a, a minus, um, you know, with this trade, they, they have their, they still have their two first-round picks. That's very good. And, you know, they didn't have to, you know, replace themselves or do anything with their 15 overall. And, and there's a bit more to this deal. You know, it has to – and I'm just going off of what CBS says here. It has to do with, like, Jalen Hurts. And it says, you know, this draft class is not seen as one that's really strong at quarterback, but it should change in 2023. It says Jason, CBS Sports NFL insider Jason – uh, Confronta says the Eagles showed some foresight in trying to be positioned to take a quarterback in 2023. If Hurts cannot prove that he's the guy that they can go out, 
then they can go out and find someone in the 2023 draft that should replace them and be maybe a bit of a new fresh start because Jalen Hurts, yes, he has shown some flashes of it, but he's also shown a little bit of downside of what he can do. I mean, Philly has had a wild ride for winning the Super Bowl just in 2018 and then to where they are now. So it has been a little bit of a stretch for them from being so good to then doing really bad. But I see as this as a win for the Eagles. I feel like they get a lot of good picks in return for what they have. And I feel like management really kind of hit it on the ball. But as for the Saints, I I don't really see them as a loser, quote unquote, but I still would give them a B because, you know, they, they definitely wanted multiple selections in the middle of the first round and they got that to happen. They could take quarterbacks because they are definitely in need of one right now. They could take Kenny Pickett, Matt Coral, and they, I, I mean, they did sign Jason with uh, James Winston. So, you know, that happened. Um, but they could also choose to build around him, like get more of an offense and get more of their defense and get back to that level they once were. But they could also get more things at the tackle position. There's just a lot of things that the Saints could shore up on that with these newly acquired draft picks that they definitely build up upon. But I feel like there's just – that's why Saints get a B. He was get like an A-. minus. But, you know, I feel like there's just – so much to build upon from what the picks they got that there's just so much more room to operate for both teams. So I'd say it's a pretty good trade either way, but that's my take on it. Well, we kind of have a flip here because personally I lean more in favor of the Saints trade than the Eagles trade. And here's my yeah, specific fair. reasoning for it. The Eagles with three uh, first round picks this year had a chance to be able to leap into the lead of this division and it seems like we have ha- this organization is very much um, concerned about the quarterback position and overly so. Um, now, and I'll get into the grades here. We'll start with the Eagles. I give the Eagles a B minus in this trade. And the reason I give them a B minus is because they gave up, uh, you know, they, they, they gave up um, a couple spots. So they went down from 16 to 18. And Ultimately, they gave up one of their first-round picks to essentially just get one next year. Like the the the, the crux of this trade is that the Eagles are getting a, another first-round pick next year, so they have two this year, two next year, and then they have another second-round pick that they can play with in 2024. So future-wise, there can be some good in it. But my concern about this is just kind of the idea that I, I guess they're banking on the fact that the Saints are going to get them a better pick next year than – uh, won the picks that they had this year. I don't know if I would bank on that, particularly with kind of the depth that is around the Saints team. Um, and overall, though, sure, they lost Sean Payton as their leading man. They do still have, uh, like, most of that same staff still around, and they're able to retain a good portion of this team. And for a team that got banged up, they were still able to finish uh, with the 18th pick in the NFL draft. Um, and what's still kind of a, a – a weird division other than the fact that the Buccaneers will dominate. So I, I don't know if I'm sold that they're going to get a better pick next year uh, from the Saints future. Um, but then mostly on top of that as well as I'm just very concerned with this organization's insecurity at the quarterback position. I get it. You guys way overpaid Carson Wentz and then you kind of had to bite the bullet for it and you had to bite the bullet for whatever's possibly happened in the locker rooms, apparently, in both Philadelphia and Indianapolis. Um, 
but like I, I don't know like why you're so concerned with Jalen Hurts when you don't have not had a good team around really Wentz or Hurts over the past few years. Like your team's been aging, your team's been injury prone, this and that. And I, though I agree that there's flashes of good and bad, ultimately I think the better that you make this team, the more likely that Hurts is going to continue to shine. I think Hurts has a good build, and I think that if you're an organization that's going to play scared, you're going to, you know, get the results of playing scared, and you're going to be this mid-team that really can't do anything. Whereas if you play with confidence as an organization, you say, hey, we're going to commit to you, you need to go ahead and step up, then there's going to be a whole different swing of, you know, that feeling in the locker room. So I, I, I don't know why they're possibly – because I, I do agree with kind of what that article said that you point out, Nick. I feel like this is a move for the Philadelphia Eagles to just kind of hunker in, and it's like, okay, we'll get you a couple big pieces this year and whatnot, and then if you fail, then we're going to go and bring in a new guy. And I feel like having that type of mentality about your quarterback is a very toxic look at it, and it's not something that you should really be having a look at for your quarterback whatsoever. Um, whereas if you're looking at the New Orleans side, I give this deal for them an A, like a solid A. This is a team that we talked about going into the, into the offseason. Their biggest issue, Nick, was the fact that their cap space was horrendous, and they had one of the worst cap spaces in the NFL. Like They're at like negative 70 million or something like that, and they really weren't going to be able to resign that many players. They weren't able to make many, really any splashes in free agency, um, and we've seen a big portion of that. Marshawn Lattimore, gone. Um, Teron Armstead, gone. Uh, they, they might still have to move on some players. They've had to restructure some contracts. Like, I believe Lattimore got restructured. I think Michael Thomas got restructured. Um, they've had to do a lot of shifting with their cap space to be able to even go and sign Jameis Winston. And then I think they signed some other, like, safety recently like what i think they re-signed no they re-signed like pj williams or something like that like they had to Mm -hmm. do so much of their cap space just to be able to bring some guys back and like not even like their best guys so for the saints here for a team that still i think has the tools to be able to push for an nfc playoff spot i feel like they, they have the tools for it it's just kind of putting it into action getting two first round picks is immensely helpful because this is a team that is looking for possibly a quarterback, as you mentioned, and they could now confidently commit to a quarterback this year if they want to. Um, this is a team that is now in need of a left tackle, at least in my opinion. Um, it, you know, I, I at least would assume that you would want to replace one of the best left tackles in the NFL this during this draft if you can. Uh, this is a team that needs a wide receiver. This is a team that possibly needs, uh, you know, like some sort of, help in the secondary, whether that be, you know, an extra safety or an extra corner, you know, th- this is a team that like could probably use another flashy player on defense and could use some sort of, uh, you know, s- s- like stability, like addition to some stability there on offense and multiple first round picks this year is certainly going to help with that. Um, and they didn't have to lose, like they didn't lose their second round pick. They didn't lose um, like a big third round pick. I, I think 101 was one of the compensation third round picks. So ultimately, New Orleans didn't have to give up an insane amount, at least this year, to get another first round pick. Now, you are giving up your first next year, which could technically be a concern. 
But ultimately, as this team is, it, it, it's got some young future to it. I don't think that losing a first round pick next year is too, too big of a deal. At least in my opinion, I, I, I feel like this is a scenario where New Orleans needs to kind of, they need to hunker in and they need to be able to fix things now rather than fix things later. So I think that they have actually gone the right way about doing this. It sounds weird for a team that might be in a transitional phase, but I do think that they can kind of steady the waters. And I think that doing what they've done is ultimately the smarter play. Um, so, yeah, that's why I give this a, a, a higher rating than Philadelphia. So the Saints have like an A for me and the Philadelphia Eagles have a B minus. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with your take on that. I kind of like the different perspectives there. And, like, I, like, I just, like, gave, like, the the Eagles, I guess, like, a higher grade because, I mean, I'm to operate, so I wasn't quite sure where to, like, go with it. But, I mean, the Saints, they just, like you said, you know, they have so little like wiggle room with money it's so getting some like i guess like not i i wouldn't say like second chance but i guess like a little bit of redemption just to kind of do better a, a second time and to just kind of like re rewrite a little bit is a, definitely a win for the saints but it's definitely going to be interesting to see how both of these teams or how both of these teams decisions to make the picks works out for them yeah, no, it'll certainly be interesting, and obviously we'll be able to mock it this week, and we'll see exactly how we feel. But ultimately in the draft where I think that there's some pretty good tackle depth, some good receiver depth, and then uh, not the best of quarterback depth, but quarterbacks where you could definitely possibly see one of them fall, I think ultimately it's better for New Orleans to be able to get a second pick in this draft than to not have one in this draft. I mean – Rather than now they're possibly going and getting like, you know, Jameson Williams or Chris Olave, like some of the guys that we could have mocked to them or maybe a quarterback, they could go and, I mean, they might even be able to trade up and get a Charles Cross, someone who people predicted might either go earlier, might start to, like, you know, that he, he might slip a little bit and teams are possibly interested in him. Um, and then they could go and get like Traylon Burks or something. I don't know. I just think that they, this this allows the Saints to have a lot more um, flexibility and possibly be able to kind of you know keep things stronger for them. So obviously we'll talk a little bit more about that when it comes to the pro episode. We'll have a lot to talk about um, with that as well. I assume that there will probably be some Champions League talk since that, uh, that, that went down this week amongst other things. But let's go ahead here and get into the world of college sports. And let's go ahead here and start off with something um, – uh, that, you know, I, as I said, we're going to talk a, a, a bit about here and there as we get into it. It's the world of baseball and softball here at Virginia Tech. And um, a, a good shout out for both these sides here. So the softball team is currently 27 and four, a very strong start for our ladies. They are ranked uh, in, uh, they're ranked fourth currently in the nation when they're 27 and three. Uh, their most recent game. Um, being a loss to, I just want to make sure I have this right. Uh, their most recent game was a loss to UCF in an away series. Um, they lost on Monday in an 11 inning. So honestly, not that bad. UCF is another team that's ranked. Uh, they're ranked 23rd, apparently, to NFCA. Uh, so, you know, losing away from home to ranks opponents, not too bad. And they have an upcoming series against uh, away from home against Florida State starting on Friday. 
And then they will also have uh, continue to be away from home on April 12th against Liberty in a one-off. And then they will come back home for uh, a series against, uh, you know, longtime standing rivals, the University of Virginia. Whereas for the baseball team, just want to get a little bit of uh, some groundwork here real quick. Uh, the baseball team has actually been doing pretty well. They've uh, done well against ranked teams after getting swept by uh, Georgia Tech in the middle of March. They went back and then against Notre Dame, the two or three games in that series got canceled. They got a win in South Bend, 10 to 5. And then on top of that, they took a trip down over to Chapel Hill um, this past week, and they took two of the three games from the number 18 ranked Tar Heels uh, with a win here uh, yesterday, actually, April 5th against the Marshall. They will now have their first home series. I believe this is their first home series against a ranked team because they're going to come up against the Wolfpack starting up on uh, on the this Friday and then ending the Sunday. So uh, talk to me a little bit about these teams here and uh, a little bit. We'll, we'll start off on the baseball side of things since that's where we ended it here um, and, you know, how this team's been looking. Yeah, so, I mean, the baseball team, obviously our softball team, shout out, you know, get to them a little bit in a second. But our baseball team been forming, like, pretty well. I mean, I mean, overall, 18-7, you know, conference, we are split 5-5. Five and five. I mean, that trip down the Chapel Hill winning, to, you know, two out of three against a ranked uh, UNC team who's looked very, very good this season. And we're also – one thing that's important for me to know is it, we're also 14-2 and two at home. We have been very, very good at home. It kind of shows that we have a strong crowd. And I've seen some people – and just kind of like send me pictures of the baseball game and like everybody loves to show out. It's a great atmosphere. We, you know, we have Carson DeMartini is one guy that I like to, you know, just kind of give a little shout out, you know, 26 runs. And then he has started every single game and he's been a huge monster for our team. He's performed like amazing in every single game, but I just feel like our baseball team has a lot of potential to be very, very good. And while NC State, you know, ranked 21, as you stated, is, you know, a very good team coming up, as you said, on Friday. And I think we'll have, what, a, three rallies against them on the 8th, 9th, and 10th. So that will be a back-to-back, two-back uh, series. So I, anyone looking to go English Field at Atlantic Union Bank Park there coming up really soon. And as for our softball team, you know, as you stated, 27-4. and four, We are 11-0 and 0 in our conference, and we're 7-0 at home. So I think those numbers can speak for itself. It's our softball team has just been doing very, very good. And our ladies have been performing very well this season overall. You can see also a bit of kind of like, I mean, they all like kind of have like a sense of like pride of who they are, like when they step on that field. But it's awesome to just see our kind of not, I mean, they're pretty big teams, but you know, everybody talks about Virginia Tech, you know, they think basketball and football. But for to see baseball and softball just shine and just perform really well and see everyone hitting on all bases, you know, no pun intended, haha. But we are be doing really, really well, and it's just nice to see all of our teams come together. Yeah, I think for the baseball team, here's a little bit of the concern. I remember last year this team started off well, and they were able to get some good wins. But then it came to uh, the month of April, and this team just kind of started to drastically fall off and I remember like after like winning a couple games I think we just like lost the rest of the way I think it was starting here at this Duke series yeah so starting at like this Duke series in at May 14th we lost every game after that 
Um, and then other than getting wins against like Toledo, uh, in which I don't think that they're a great team, but I could be wrong about that. Um, otherwise, you know, we were, we were dropping games to Virginia. We lost a whole series to North Carolina state, lost a whole, uh, lost two or three games against Georgia tech. Um, the team after starting off uh, relatively hot, then just very much simmered down um, from my memory of that team. So I think that's a little bit of a concern here for the men. Um, but ultimately what I find here, which is great for them, is the fact that they have been finding some form against ranked teams, you know, with that win against Notre Dame and then two wins against North Carolina at Chapel Hill, that makes them uh, three and one against ranked teams away from home, at least in their past four games against a ranked opponent. So I think that's going to be some good confidence for the boys going in English field against uh, the, I mean, you know, realistically speaking, the lowest ranked opponent of the, their most recent ones, that being North Carolina state. Um, so I think that this North Carolina state game though, you know, you're, you're going to possibly roll your eyes because, you know, you'll hear people say this uh, about so many things, but I think this might be one of the most important series of the season for Virginia tech. Cause I think this series could define exactly how these boys are going to play for the rest of the year. I think if they can pull off at least a couple wins against North Carolina State, if not, they can somehow sweep the Wolfpack. It's going to show not only the um, the drive of this team, but it's also going to be able to give them a huge boost of confidence that they're able to pull off sweeps against ranked teams or they're able to pull off multiple wins against ranked teams. So I think that this upcoming series is quintessential in being able to have a strong season and one of your stronger seasons that than you've had in a while particularly because it looks like the rest of the season. I don't think we have many hard opponents. Uh, the only other one that I can specifically note here is uh, Virginia. Virginia is currently the number three team in the nation. Um, I'm trying to see what else here. Uh, actually, so there's also Miami on the schedule, I believe. Yeah, Miami is uh, actually, ironically, they're our next coming series into English field, and they're also ranked inside the top 10. So, no, we, we still have some hard – we still have a lot of hard series to go. Uh, I think we have Louisville in there. Um, I think that's the teams that are left that we have to play that are ranked. I think it's Louisville, it's Miami, and it's Virginia, which, again, makes this NC State series so much more important. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm feeling good for the boys. I know that there's a lot of good young talent on that team. So, uh, looking forward to seeing if they can pull it off. And then for the ladies, they've been incredible – um, which isn't too surprising. They have set a very high standard here. Um, and ultimately, I, I think for them, it's just making sure that they can maintain that. Um, I don't think that's that. I don't think that that is a big ask for the, uh, for these ladies. They're very, very good at what they do. Um, I'm just trying to scroll through here. I don't think they, uh, like, you know, I, I said this about the men, but then I was wrong. I don't think they have other ranked opponents, at least until, like, it comes to, like, playoffs towards the end of this year. Um, no, no. Again, see, this is this is why I don't say these things, because I am wrong. Florida State, though, for some other reason, it's not up on the website. Florida State's the number two team in the nation. So this is a huge series coming up for the ladies. So ironically, this might be the two biggest, like, series for the men and the women, at least – this will definitely be the biggest series left for the women um, coming up against Florida State. So a lot to play for. Um, if you guys, of course, are in the Blacksburg area, I don't know if the if listeners are possibly, you know, you know, I, I don't know quite what our demographic is, but if you're in the area, I 
highly suggest uh, being coming out to those Virginia Tech men's games. For the women's, obviously, you're not going to be able to. Um, unfortunately, it's on ACC Network Extra. Um, but, you know, uh, root for the team in spirit. If you're able to catch it on your TV or whatever, wonderful. Um, I would definitely shout out supporting those women. Um, if, if they can at least pull – if they could pull two games from Florida State, that would be huge in the way series. I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I remember we had the way series against Alabama in March. Uh, or I guess it wasn't in the way series, I guess. It was just a couple games against Alabama, and they lost one nothing and 2 nothing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this would be huge if uh, Virginia Tech can get those wins because if they can get a, a win, maybe even two against Florida State, it shows that they can beat the best at their own home court, quote-unquote. Home field would have been a lot better to say there. But, uh, yeah, I think that these are two big series. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch out for, and then obviously there's a lot of play still to go. Um, so with all that in mind, I don't think there's too much else to say on it. Just big shout outs to them. Um, and we'll see how things are going to continue to go here for the rest of the season. Um, you know, a lot of exciting stuff and we'll keep you all updated, but with that in mind, that is really everything that we have on baseball and softball. So how about we go into a little bit of a March madness roundup? Um, we talked about the men's and women's side of things. We'll talk about the women's first. Um, I was on the complete wrong side of it. You're on the complete right side of it. Um, just, I mean, essentially we were, we were split, uh, in the semifinals and in the finals at the very least, I did agree with you that, you know, I, I did say that the team who was on the top, it was either South Carolina or Louisville. I said it was going to win it all. And lo and behold, South Carolina did win. Um, but yeah, I mean, good, good, good shots from you and they went through. So yeah, I mean, it was, did you see any of those games? Did you like the performances, et cetera? I actually, I will say I did not get a chance to see them, but I did um, just kind of read a little bit about, I'm not, I forget her name, but she's, there's a specific player on that uh, South Carolina team who has just like overcome so much. And I, I don't know who they lost to. It might've been Louisville or some, one of those teams, but they, they've just overcome so much South Carolina as a team. And those ladies have just performed so well this season. It was, a, it was a great story to see her because she's apparently just won so many accolades and been a part of such a big part of this team. And uh, it was just really nice to see them win, just not only because I picked them, but also because it just seemed like everybody was kind of happy to see them win as well, to be honest. So I did not get a chance to see them, but overall very, you know, obviously stoked for those girls who were able to pull that victory off. And that is on any stage so kudos saying kudos to them like they just performed a very well job okay yeah your, your connection was getting a little slow there at least on my end so i was, I was just want to make sure everything yeah i mean i don't know if there's nothing too, too crazy to say i mean it was just an incredible performance there from the south carolina team and uh i mean it was a good term and i mean i don't have anything crazy to say i i i, I kept up with the scores and whatnot but not as much the uh, games, particularly because I had a lot of investment here, obviously, going into this Final Four weekend. Um, as uh, the listeners will know, as Nick knows, because I had a big investment in one of the four teams in the men's side of the Final Four. So I was going to be paying attention to that uh, very avidly. And in that Final Four, um, 
I, I think we both got it wrong. I think we both said that Duke was going to win, but then UNC yeah. won. Um, which, which is fair. I mean, I, I said that that was a hard one to predict. I think we both agreed on that. Uh, but then Kansas beat Nova, um, and they beat them pretty comfortably. And then after going down by 15, probably one of the larger halftime deficits that we'd had all season, uh, Kansas makes a historic comeback, the most, uh, the largest comeback in uh, finals history to win its fourth ever NCAA championship uh, and its second under Bill Self. I mean, it was an incredible game to watch. I mean, uh, is, is my connection clear, by the way? Just make sure before I start talking. Uh, it sounds uh, good to me right now. All right, cool. All right. Um, but, you know, going in, I, I know we talked a little bit about it before the uh, podcast, but, you know, just going into this game, I was like, oh, man, like, you know, UNC is just kind of smothering them. They're doing great. You know, they, they're getting hot. I mean, that uh, uh, Braden Manick, that, you know, big boy from Oklahoma, he uh, – getting hot shooting threes and although he did get dinged up a bunch in that first half they just looked strong going in and I think UNC just watching a little bit I think they just got too comfortable with that lead and then they you know they're holding and holding and then Kansas just kept on getting hotter and hotter and you know I, I talked about it before but you know they uh Kansas is just one of those teams you know I think though they're they're down and out and then they just always find a way to just work themselves back in and they just, just smothered, you know, UNC completely. And, you know, UNC towards the end of the game, I mean, they, I mean, they had 13 turnovers. They were losing the ball a bunch. You know, they, they hardly had any assists. Uh, Kansas was getting them on steals, uh, assists. And, you know, Kansas got out-rebounded on the offensive and rebounds overall. 20 to 7 offensive rebounds and then 49 to Kansas's 34. And Kansas was still able to pull off that incredible victory. Mm-hmm. And they also they were they were decisive and in, in then smart with their three-point shots and their field goal percentage. Also, they had you know 12, I think it was 13% better than UNC's, but you know, Kansas just went on an unbelievable run. It was a historic day. And although, you know, my mom, who like I mentioned before, went to a UNC, she uh very sad to see UNC go down, but you know, Kansas just they just performed and played a very good game. And I don't, don't know if it'll load completely, but there was this player from Kansas that literally grew up like you know a couple seconds away from it. Oh, yeah, here it is. So, born in Burlington, Kansas, he went to high school in Overland Park, Kansas. He won three consecutive titles at, in high school. He was Kansas Gatorade Player of the Year. And after committing to – he committed to Kansas after having 17 offers, and he's the second leading scorer, and it was Christian Braun, and he was going insane. But it was a very, very good game. But as a Kansas man, what was your take on it, man? Well, uh, at halftime, uh, there were certainly things said that I cannot repeat here on the podcast um, <laughs> by myself, explicatives, um, a, a lot of uh, cursing and anger and frustration, uh, particularly because it was the biggest game of the year and Kansas was flopping, um, a particularly, you know, for a side that you just, you wouldn't have expected really to have something quite like that. And I don't know, man. I mean, 
it was it was crazy to watch in that second half. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I missed a, a, bit, a bit of the first few minutes because I was watching a YouTube video to try to make myself feel a little bit better um, because I, I was not happy at all with the performance that the team put out in the first half. Um, but Bill Self has some magical halftime talks. And as I tuned back in, they had already cut the lead right back in. And I, I feel like it was like six minutes into the second half or something like that, that Kansas had already like either tied it up or retaken the lead, which is absolutely incredible. I like, I have to go out and say that, that it's fantastic. Like, I, I don't think you can really ask for much better than that. It was here. I'm trying to pull this up fully. So yeah, it was at the 12. So not quite six, but it was like just about seven minutes in. So 12.42 left. Christian Brown made a layup, and Kansas was down by one point. Like, that's incredible to not even take 10 minutes to cut that 15-point deficit down to one, um, particularly against a team that is as good as this North Carolina team has been all tournament. Um, like, that game, particularly after the first half, screamed that it was going to be a success from North Carolina – or at the very least that they're going to be able to continue what they did in the first half into the second. Uh, but ultimately they started to flounder a little bit and they didn't shoot well. I mean, they only shot 31.5% from the field uh, did a lot more quiet of a second half. They put up just shy of 30 points, um, but you, that can't take away from the performance from the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, they were absolutely incredible. Certainly led the way by Christian Brown in those first um, 10 minutes. I believe he got 10 of his 12 points in in that uh, comeback from 15 down. Um, and then obviously a big shout out to David McCormick, your uh, most outstanding player of the tournament, Ochai Abaji, which I'm going to hope slash assume is probably going to be your wooden award winner as well. Um, and if he is rightfully deserved, um, big shout out to Remy Martin, uh, who made a lot of clutch threes. He made four of his six three-point shots. Um, mostly he'd kind of been a do it. He'd, he'd kind of been a handyman, a do it all guy throughout this tournament, but that, that was his three point shooting on full display. Like he just in the second half, didn't look like he could miss from there. Um, yeah, it was an incredible performance. Uh, certainly a bill self, uh, driven second half as a lot of players would even, uh, or even going and saying on Twitter, um, I don't know, man. I mean, it was, it was incredible. I, I do have some points, I think, overall on this team I want to make as well. I'm going to make sure I have it pulled up just because this is an incredible year for this team. So first of all, one thing that ESPN said right, and I think that you'll agree with this uh, as well, is the oh, fact that this, is a, that this is a championship that was three years in the making. Um, if we remember back to 2020, the year of COVID, um, starting up and whatnot, Kansas was the clear-cut favorites. Devon Dotson was absolutely incredible. Uh, Udoka Azubuki, um was on his grind, and it was just a phenomenal Jayhawks team. It was probably one of the best that I had seen uh, since the team that ran to the finals and then got pounced by Kentucky. Um, it, was, it was a really good-looking 2020 team, and it felt like they were destined to win it all. And we had that taken away from us, just like Robert Lewandowski had it ta- uh, the um, had the Ballon d'Or taken away from him in 2020. And it's taken us a couple of years, but we got right back to the stage and with a team that, though it was 
you, you, we couldn't get a full good feel on them throughout the season. They were well led by Ochai Baji, um, returning for his final year, uh, most likely, and just absolutely just incredible performance from him. Um, and everyone kind of found themselves during this tournament, uh, which was very, very impressive. Um, I think something else is very impressive. Uh, some things here that actually, I believe my father had sent me because obviously, you know, I, I got, I got my rooting for Kansas from him. Um, the, the fact that this Kansas team, this was a, uh, gosh, I mean, this, this, this was a team that was able to do everything that needed to do this year. This wasn't a team that just won the national championship, right? That's what UNC would have been. If UNC won the national championship, that's all they would have done this year, technically speaking. Um, for Kansas, they won the Big 12 regular season. They won the Big 12 tournament. Um, and then they got the number one seed. And then they ran through March Madness and they went ahead and got it. They did quite literally everything. Um, I'm trying to even see here as well. Uh, big shout outs to uh, Bill Self. The other thing that they did, Kansas did this year is we are now the most winning program of all time. Uh, we passed Kentucky this year, and now we lead them by like three or the like th I think three games or so in wins. We have the most wins in out of every program in history, um, and a lot of it's the shout out to the man himself, Bill Self, someone who a lot of people say is overrated or can't coach. Um, I mean, my my dad did send me one thing, which is a little weird. It was uh, a, a tweet from someone that's like. Oh, Kansas only has, you know, a few recruits that are outside of the top 100 and they had nobody inside the, like in one player inside the top 50 in their uh, big seven and they went and won. Wow. Crazy. And it's like, no, no, I don't quite agree with that. You have a lot of top 100 players there. Here is what I think is impressive, Nick. What is impressive is, is your average Kansas season during the 19 years of Bill Self is this. 29 wins, a conference title, and a run to the Elite Eight. And he's 34 wins away from tying Fog Allen's all-time wins record at Kansas. Of course, Fog Allen being, you know, what, gosh, uh, well, Fog Allen's, you know, Allen Fieldhouse, yeah? So, I mean, you know, he, he, he's followed in the footsteps of Roy Williams. He's followed in the footsteps of legends that have literally created this sport and he has become one of the best coaches of all time for Kansas of all time. Um, I don't know. This is just magical uh, for a season. It felt right. That's why I had Kansas winning this tournament. It felt right. It felt like they were the team to do it. Um, the only thing that I think people may have got wrong from this weekend is I think David McCormick should have won the most outstanding player of the tournament. Um, one thing that was treated from uh, Rock Chalk's blog was the fact that David McCormick was plus 41 in the final four. That is incredible to be plus 41, particularly when you're like banged up. McCormick put on, you know, David McCormick looks like David McCormick in March Madness. He didn't have a great year, but in March, he was incredible. Um, I don't know. I've rambled on a lot, so I, I, I do want to have a little bit of a closing of this, just of the fact that I'm probably not going to have a college 
basketball season, let alone a college sports or probably even pro sports season, like I just had this one and I'm trying to cherish and be thankful for it as much as I can. Because obviously in this college basketball season, Virginia Tech won its first ever ACC tournament. Kansas won its first title for me actually, you know, being an avid fan and watching, like that's the first time I've really seen a team that I avidly support highly be successful. Um, Kansas did everything this year. Um, I don't know. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, it's, it's definitely nice, you know, I, I understand, you know, it's definitely, it's awesome to see so many teams perform well and just so many great things happen in the sport that we all know and love. And, you know, basketball is a huge part in, you know, a lot of our lives and we just kind of look to it and it, it's a great sport. And there's so many great things that have been happening for you and I and the, you know, Kansas Jayhawks and Virginia Tech. I mean, there's just been so many amazing things that happen all across this season. And, you know, sportsmanship or gamesmanship, whatever you want to call it, I, I thought it was really nice. I don't know how, how you feel, but at one point uh, during, you know, I think maybe like three or four minute mark of that game toward in the second half, you know, uh, Mondo Baycott went down with a, uh, with I think it was you know, an ankle or a leg injury or something like that. And, you know, the Kansas Jayhawks, they could have just went up and scored on a four on five. Yeah. And, been able to put up that score, but I thought it was awesome just to see them just like, I mean, they, they just kind of just waited for him until he got back completely. I think it was just a great, you know, whatever you want to call it, it was a great thing to see in the sports because it's something you don't really see that often in a thing where everybody just kind of wants to score, but to see the Jayhawks have the, this is sportsmanship to do. It was awesome to me. Yeah, I mean, there's that, and there's also the moment of shout-out to uh, probably one of the more impressive players on the night, Puff Johnson, for uh, North Carolina when he got winded because he got the by far most minutes I think he got all season during that championship game. And Oshai Baji made sure to point out to the refs, and I think the refs were already calling it, but then they they stopped play to make sure that um, Johnson was okay and could get back to the bench. Um, I don't know, man. This is – it's a great team. Love the coach. Love the players. It's not a season I'll ever forget. I don't know. I'm just I'm just happy with it. Um, I feel like there's something else I could have thrown into there, but I don't think there is. I mean, again, hopefully Obaji wins the Wooden Award. He should win it. Um, I would hope slash assume, or I mean, I I would have loved to have seen McCormick win the Most Outstanding Player, but say la vie. Uh, I don't know. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, it was really, really cool. It was a, definitely a good finals game. And though, shout out to uh, me, my media writing professor, Dale Jenkins. I, I, I will say uh, he, he definitely wasn't happy about the result, but I, I, I do want to shout out UNC because one, it was a good game overall. Yeah, Kansas stormed back in the second half, but UNC stormed out to a big lead. Um, but then on top of that, a big shout out to UNC as a whole. You guys have an incredible coach in Hubert Davis, and I think he's going to get you guys a chip or so in the years to come. Um, definitely comes from that Roy Williams tree of excellence. So big shout out that way. Um, but as we're close to closing this episode here, Nick, because you know there's not there's not really much more to say about the Final Four outside of that. Um, what we can say here 
is a little bit of what ESPN dropped, you know, like a couple hours after March Madness ended, and it is their way too early top 25. I'll list teams in it. We can have some reactions to it. And ultimately, I do have a final exercise for us to hear to do before uh, we go off into, uh, you know, no more college basketball, unfortunately, until the month of November. So with that in mind, I have the article pulled up here on my computer, so I'll go ahead and read it through. The number one team, surprisingly enough, though, I will go ahead and read out the uh, statement here from Jeff Brazello that he did say that there's not a clear number one entering the offseason. But he has the Arkansas Razorbacks is his way too early number one team. Uh, number two is Houston Cougars, UCLA Bruins, Kansas Jayhawks round out his top four, top five being North Carolina. Six is Duke, seven is Kentucky, Baylor, Creighton, Arizona rounds out your top ten. Michigan, Gonzaga, Villanova, Tennessee, Alabama. That's your next five after the top 10. You got Auburn. You've got Illinois. You've got Dayton back up there. You've got the Oregon Ducks inside the top 20. You have Xavier rounding out your top 20. Indiana at 21. Texas at 22. Purdue at 23. Texas Tech at 24. And then St. Louis at 25 with uh, some shout-out teams from them being Virginia, Ohio State, USC, Texas A&M, and Michigan State. You know, I, I think one thing that, you know, me and you obviously talked about before this podcast was Arkansas being number one was definitely a shocker to me. I mean, I, I think we can both completely agree on the fact that, you know, Arkansas performed very well. Their coach and team com- seemed to be completely intact, and it was definitely tough to see them go because it was a team that I saw a little bit of in the regular season. They were just so fun and exciting to watch. But to put them at number one, in my opinion, is a bit of a stretch. I mean, what do you think? Am I wrong to say that? I- I'm, I'm not going to say you're wrong because I do, generally speaking, agree. However, what Jeff Borzello does point out here, in which is something I actually find uh, interesting, which is why I can appreciate this, is the fact that um, he says here in his paragraph on the Razorbacks that Eric Musselman has established himself as one of the best transfer recruiters and coaches in the country, uh, is bringing the nation's second best high school recruiting class to a program coming off back-to-back Elite Eight appearances. I think that is a really good statement there from him because obviously, you know, not only have they shown up with March Madness, but obviously they are showing up with getting some good high school recruits, uh, they have the number six in this class and Nick Smith, the number 20 in this class, Anthony Black, and the number 10 in this class, Jordan Walsh. Um, but then on top of that, I think specifically noting the transfer aspect is also very big because this is a team that the only two returning starters average 8.3 points a game and 10.5 points a game, um, or at least it's the um, two uh, projected returning starters. Um so I, I think that's a good note from Anthony Black. I think Arkansas being in that top four, honestly, I think is worth it. Um, number one, eh, but it's a way too early top 25. I'm, I'm down to see a little bit of uh, a little bit of a shot in the dark. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's not ridiculous to say at all. I mean, like Eric Musselman, obviously he is very, very all about his team and it's awesome to see him like, so about, being a Kansas coach, but one thing, another team I was a little bit surprised about, um, Creighton. I mean, you know, for a team that lost in the second 
second round, although it was to, you know, your eventual champions, Kansas. They, yeah. they kind of struggled a, a bit against uh, San Diego State. And I know it's kind of like those eight, nine seeds are always, you can never really guess them. They're always just kind of like, uh, okay, well, what is it? What do you do? I feel like that was like took me out. I mean, Gonzaga for a team that's never that. Oh, was oh man, is my internet connection going bad again? Uh, I mean, I was. It wasn't as bad as it was earlier. I can okay. still hear it. Am I good now? Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, but no, I mean for Gonzaga, I mean repeated trips and repeated losses, and Gonzaga team who struggled a lot in a team who's losing Chet Holmgren through Timmy. A lot of their big guys, I feel like Kansas should have been at least three or maybe two at least, but it's not a terrible one. I think, you know, obviously, like you said, I mean, the the season quite literally ended two days ago as we're recording this. So, I mean, there's a lot of room to adjust upon, but um, I mean, nothing strikes out at be too big, but what are, what are some things? I'm sure you got some opinion. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I will say this. I do definitely agree that Kansas should be a top four team from where Borzello put it. Uh, I don't know how high I would put Kansas. I'd probably have put them over UCLA because uh, Borzello is going off the idea that he's projecting that Johnny Juzang, Jamie Jaquez, and Peyton Watson are all going to return which means that he's projecting that three or at least two of those starters, two of the big starters for this team are going to return. And I think that's a little bit bold, particularly because Johnny Juzang obviously was formerly Kentucky. Now he's played a couple of years at UCLA. I wouldn't be surprised if Juzang decided to go up into the NBA. I feel like this could be a good time for him to do it. If he stays one more year, I could get it, but I don't know. I, I, I think it's a little bold to predict that both Juzang and Chaquez are going to stay around. Sorry, I, yeah, I can tell those on my under your end for a second. Yeah, no, I, I was like, kind of like, I, I didn't know what was going on. I just kind of was throwing on the page. I was going to start going off like, bro, not right, right while he's talking. I yeah, apologize I mean, you're all, for the thing. You're all good, man. You're all good, man. I, I just want to make sure that I was slipping up or anything. I digress. Um, I think Houston's a decent team. I think if Houston is, I, I think Houston comes to the Big 12 next year. I could be wrong. So I think maybe putting them at two if they are transferring to the Big 12 would be a little bit of a big shout just because I think that that's a little early to say that they're going to shine. Um, and even if they don't come to the Big 12, I think that having them at two is a little hard-pressed for me. I mean, granted, I think they are a, a very talented team. I, I, I just think that it's like, you know, coming out of the American, I wouldn't have them at two. I know most of the nation wouldn't have them at two. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I don't know. I agree with you that Creighton probably shouldn't be a top 10 team because they're so inconsistent last season. I think Arizona, unless they are losing like a lot of their big players, I feel like Arizona should probably be a little bit higher up that list uh, because I mean, part of the reason why I find this confusing is that he's like, Oh, we're assuming Johnny Juzang and uh, Jacquez are going to stay, but he's like, Oh, we're going to assume that Benedict Mothrin and um, Coloco and Dalen Terry are also going to be gone. And it's like, really? Like you, you can't say that you're going to project two guys to say, and then you're going to say these other three guys are not like, I think that's a little bit, back. but I digress. Michigan's probably way too high up there. Gonzaga, 
that people could have thought that this was bold, but honestly, I like this take by Brazello. I don't think Gonzaga is going to be that good of a team next year. Um, it doesn't seem like that they have any crazy recruits coming in. So this is going to be, you know, like the first time in a little while that um, Mark Fuse is going to have to work with the, the, you know, with a lot of like the players that he has. And the only guy that he can really hope to comes back is Drew Timmy, but I don't know if Timmy is going to come back. Um, beyond that, though, I mean, a lot of these teams don't seem too crazy to have up here. So other than maybe Indiana, but I mean, I think Tracy ja- Jackson Davis is going to stay around. So if he does stay around, he's probably one of your favorites to be like a Big Ten player of the year. Uh, Tracy Jackson Davis was incredible for Indiana. So I, I don't mind them being up there. In all honesty, if the only other things that I'd probably change is I'd probably have moved Texas and Texas Tech up that list. Um mostly because I'm not worried about if they possibly have players um, who are uh, like, you know, if they, if they have a couple like uh, players that are possibly moving on or whatnot, but Chris Beard and uh, Mark Adams have done great jobs with these programs in their first year. And I think that they're going to continue to do well. Plus on top of that, the big 12 is one of the best conferences in America. So I would have put those two teams way higher personally but beyond that, I, I like the list. I like the collection. Maybe no Oregon, maybe no St. Louis, but I I think this is a pretty decent list put together by Borzello. For a way too early top 25, he takes a couple uh, a couple stabs that are intriguing. Um, so as I'm actually trying to pull up something here as well for a, a quite possible, uh, you know, out of the blue topic, though I might not be able to get it here. Um I, I will go ahead and ask this because this is on our, our on our sheet here, Nick. Uh, who do we have here is our way too early for one seeds? Man, this is always so tough to you know, to tell. Uh, I mean, when you when you look at it, starting from four, I'm going to say UCLA. I know it's kind of up in the air about Johnny Zhang and Peyton Watson and, you know, Miles Johnson, you know, those guys, the last few guys are, you know, not really huge parts, but I mean, the, the off chance of getting Jamie Jackway as a Tyler Campbell and Jalen Clark who are all rising stars and they could certainly perform very, very good. If the team could come together and let's say Johnny Zhang does come back, that team will be incredible. But I'm going to put UCLA at four. You know, I feel like Duke, after this season, they're just losing so much. I just don't really see them going. I don't see them getting put high. I will say I will. I am putting North Carolina at three. Uh, you know, I feel like they just have had so much upside. And like you say, there's just there's just so much riding on them. And just like their coach, Hubert Davis, has, has just performed awesome in his first season. But getting back Caleb Love and R.J. Davis – and they, let's say they pull in some more recruits. I mean, that team could also be very good. Caleb Loves and R.J. Davis obviously being some of the leading scorers along with, you know, Brady Manick and uh, Armando Baycott. Let's say he does come back. I know it's up in the air. Um, ah, I just I – just, I don't it's, – it's a hard list to make. Uh, Houston maybe at two. Um, getting back Marcus Sacer, Mark Tammon, Jamal Sheed. Reggie Chasner, I mean, all these guys are, you know, coming back in the Houston team that really, really I liked a lot. And I know one thing that we both talked about, how they were just performing so well and they're a very likable team. But 
I, I just don't know, man, because I know Kansas – I want the Kansas just won, but they're losing Ochai Abaji, McCormick, Martin, uh, Lightfoot. I know they're losing a lot of their biggest scores. Actually, just, just an update for that. I'm pretty sure Lightfoot is actually projected to still stay around. Oh, okay. And, and he, I, I, it was kind of, I think he doesn't, didn't do much. He averaged like what, like five points a game, nothing too big. But I mean, any presence on that team, he's a role guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a any like, yeah, like any guys to keep back on that team is just so is is just a great addition. You know, one thing I fear is that I might have used like a like a number one team too early because now I just don't know what to pick because I, I don't want to say Arkansas because it's something that we both kind of didn't agree upon that high. I, I'm not going Gonzaga, not Kansas, not Kentucky either. <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I, I'm going to be so for real. I, I think I might, I think I used up a number one team too early and if I could swap it, I would, but I think for number one. You I'm can. Gonna, it doesn't really matter. I'm just, I'm just going to have – This I'm, isn't into the world or anything. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just, like, I don't want to mess up too bad. But I think I can – I'll just swap, like, just North Carolina for number one for my three spot. And then my three spot, I'll give it to Arizona. I feel like they're a pretty good team. I know they're losing Coloco, but getting back – I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Tabilis – and Kursa and Terry and Peel Larson, all guys who are certainly huge role players. And like I said, they are losing Ben Martherin and Justin Keeler and Martherin, who's, you know, or Matherin, sorry, uh, you know, 17.7 points. He was a huge board grabber and point scorer for their team. But uh, yeah, swapping North Carolina for Arizona. So my final four would turn out to be UCLA, Arizona, Houston, and North Carolina. So I uh, rambled on a little bit there, but uh, what's your uh, top four, man? I'm going to go ahead and say here and lock one of my four seeds. It's going to be Kansas. Uh, I just think that it's it's the consistency of Bill Self. It's the consistency of this team. Um, you know, Bill Self got this team to the record of most wins, you know, in the regular season in a row for a reason. Um, and on top of that, they have, like, an incredible, like, a lineup coming in as well with some guys returning. It's expected that Dewan Harris and Jalen Wilson are going to be back. I kind of expect that to be the case. Uh, I personally assume that Christian Brown's going to be back. I don't think he's done enough to really have like a big, big jump there in the NBA drafts. And I feel like he could possibly make himself a first rounder. Like right now he's basically in Ochai Abaji situation, in my opinion, um, kind of like where he's projected, like, you know, like, Oh, he'd be drafted, but it'd be like a second round pick. And I think that Christian Brown should know that he could get higher than a second round pick. So, you know, coming back for one more year to get your stats a little bit better is probably the best case scenario for him, but maybe not. I mean, you know, he did have a good season averaging 14 points a night, just about 50% from the field, uh, 38.6% from three. It's not a bad season. I just think that he could possibly come back and lead the team. So I think there's a possibility of his return. Uh, so that means you'd have Brown, Lightfoot, Harris, Wilson. Uh, I think Abaji, McCormick, and Martin are all gone. Uh, so then otherwise, you also have KJ Adams and Zach Clements that I think were both very talented front court players. Uh, they didn't get many minutes, but I think that they're going to get more starting next season. But 
we have three really good recruits coming in in MJ Rice, Ernest Uday, and Grady Dick. And I'm telling you right now, Grady Dick's going to be one of the best basketball players in college basketball next year. You know, Grady Dick. I said you standing by that just to lock oh, it I, I am I am standing by that. I would be willing to put my foot in the ground on that. Grady Dick is awesome. That's like fair. he's That's so fair. good. He, he he won Gatorade, the what the Gatorade uh boys player of the year or whatnot. Um just recently. He is a stud, and you know, as you were praising with Brown being from the, the Kansas area, uh here is Grady Dick from Wichita, Kansas, uh Sunrise Christian Academy. Um uh, number three in his position, number one in the region, number one in the state, uh, eighth best recruit in the nation. Grady Dick is going to be great. I, I have a lot of high hope for Grady Dick. And I think that that lineup should be a number one worthy lineup uh, or a top seed worthy lineup. Um, I'm going to also throw Arkansas in there. Uh, they, they're my number one team in the nation, but I do think they're getting a one seed. Does seem pretty likely because I don't, think Kentucky's going to hit in the transfer portal quite like they did this past year. Um, and then I don't have enough faith in Auburn to repeat. So I think Arkansas coming in with one of the best classes in the nation um, and possibly some transfers, it does make sense for them to end up being a one seed. Um, I'm going to be going off Brazil's list here, but I'm also going to have Houston as a one seed. Uh, they just have a lot of really good talent. Uh, Big 12 or not, I think that this is going to be a very strong team, and I think that it's going to be hard to be able to top them as it normally is. But then the other team that I'm going to go ahead and throw in here, and this is the other topic that I'm actually going to throw in here as a little bit of a swerve. I just want to make sure this is right. It is right. Cool. Um, Is going to be Duke. And the reason I have Duke here is because I think the ACC is going to get harder next year. I think it's going to get a little bit more respect garnered. And even though, yeah, it's going to be their first year, uh, the first year of John Share leading the way, they have three of the top five recruits coming into their team with Derek Lively, Kyle Filipowski, uh, uh, and Derek Whitehead. And on top of all of that, and the thing that I hate the most, and I, I, I will say I might hurl if this happens, there's a possibility that they're going to get some transfers, including the likes of Nigel Pock from Kansas State. And Nigel Pock is an incredible guard. And if they were somehow able to do, if they were somehow able to land Nigel Pock alongside all the incredible talent they brought in, because, oh, don't forget that they also have the number 31 recruit in this class and Mark Mitchell. Like, this is going to be a team, like, that's going to just tear everyone a new one. Coach K or not. So Duke's going to be up there. Normally they're going to have an ACC team in like in this, in that top, top area anyway. So why not it being Duke? Um, I, I almost want to say UNC, but I feel like they're probably going to lose Caleb Love and or Armando Baycott. And if they lose one or both, I'm not confident enough in Hubert Davis taking a side to a one seed next year. Otherwise I'd, I, I would say UNC. So yeah, I would say Kansas, Houston, Arkansas, and Duke make up the four one seeds that I would have for next year. So Pretty similar lists. I think you had UC, you had UCLA and then I think someone else different. Yeah, Arizona. Arizona, yeah. So a, a little bit different, but yeah, yeah. So the last thing that I do want to talk about this episode because I did think about this on the fly um, was to see how you might possibly feel. Actually, I'm trying to see if there's any lists here for it. They don't have any lists for the 
That's dumb. All right. So we aren't going to go on for this full list, but I guess we'll bring up the one player in mind then. I wanted to talk about college basketball transfers. I think we can do this in another episode because I think it's very exciting talking about the transfer portal. And I think that there's a lot of incredible players in the transfer portal. Terrence Shannon, Brandon Murray, Nigel Pock, uh, Manny Bates, Andre uh, Corbello. There's a lot of really good guys in there. But the issue is, is that I, the article I pulled up from CBS Sports doesn't have any projections on where those players could go. I'm trying to see if 247 has something, but. Yeah, it, it has. Do you know who Dexter Dennis is? I think I've heard the name Dexter Dennis. He's from WSU, but he's like the number one up there. But yeah, Brandon Johns, Austin Martin, Josh Taylor. Uh, Connor Vanover. It just says like blank something, blank something. It doesn't really say anywhere where they're going to, on 24-7. Exactly. But there is a player that they do have a lot of where he's going, and it's because he's the by far number one transfer recruit. Um, so I will talk about this one, particularly since I do have a little bit of attachment to this as well. So let's talk about Nigel Pock, right? So to go ahead and pull up for anyone who is unfamiliar with Nigel Pock, let me go ahead here and get to the standings. Nigel Pock was one of the best young guards in uh, Big 12 ball. Um, he's, he's projected to transfer, but uh, I also did see, and I'll mention this again when it comes to it, that he did say that returning to Kansas State is in the cards. It's just he's basically testing the waters right now and seeing where he could end up, you know, uh, possibly seeing what types of offers he can get. I want to see, do they? Okay, cool. Awesome. There is Nigel Pock there. So Nigel Pock in his second year as a Big 12 player. So I believe he made the all Big 12 freshman team 2020-2021. Uh, he averaged 12.7 points a night, put up 41.8% from the field, 40.5 from three. And this past season, he was just even better in slightly less time, 45.5% from the field, 43.6% from three. Uh, upgraded his free throw shooting by about 5%. Uh, and he went up from 12.7 points a night to 17.4 points a night. Uh, went down in personal foul in turnover. Um you know, ultimately, he's just a really good young guard, uh, really special. He was certainly one of the better guards in the Big 12. And two, in, it was announced recently that he entered the transfer portal. My dad is definitely upset about it, the being Kansas State guy. Uh, but there's a lot of teams that are in for him. He was really highly recruited. So how about we talk about some of the teams that are in, maybe talking about a few of those teams that we may like. Uh, Marquette is one of the teams listed in there uh, to go ahead and join Chaka Smart, possibly. Uh, Xavier, which I think is a little bit unlikely with their having a new head coach now and Sean Miller, but we'll see. Uh, you have Gonzaga that are in there for him. Um, obviously, with Gonzaga not having as great of a recruiting class, maybe adding in someone like Nigel Pock would be huge for them, um, particularly though I think they'd need to bring back Drew Timmy for that to become a reality. Arizona, particularly if Benedict Mothrin, uh, Mothrin is going to go into the draft, he could possibly step in for Benedict Mothrin and become that new leading guy for them. You got the Purdue Boilermakers in there for him, possibly. Uh, actually, I think Jay Nivey is going to be, yeah, he's going to, he's destined to be a top five pick. So Jay Nivey will be gone. He kind of start filling in there. Obviously the return to Kansas state's a possibility. Uh, and North Carolina state was a team that's linked with them, which is really interesting but I, I don't think that that's going to happen when you have Manny Bates already in the transfer portal. 
you have Miami in there, obviously Miami making an elite eight run, pretty strong team. Uh, they also got a Kansas state and a Kansas transfer in recent history. Charlie Moore, I think used to be at Kansas and Kansas state. They got like one of Kansas state scars back in the day, like angel Hernandez was his name. I don't remember something like that. Uh, Ohio state's up there. Obviously one of the better teams in the big 10 Duke. I already mentioned is up there. Um, Tennessee is a team that threw their names and the hats in the ring. And that is everything that's currently listed. So of those teams, what kind of like, you know, piques your interest, where do you think he's going to go? So, wait, who are the top like three teams again? Cause there was a ton of them and I didn't catch all the, of them. The, the, the first three teams mentioned, this is, I think really no particular order is Marquette, Xavier and Gonzaga. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, first, you know, just to start off, you know, one thing that I, I agree with you is that like unless Gonzaga brings in someone super good or brings back true Demi, I just don't see Nigel going there. I mean, Nigel, obviously, you know, 17, four and two on like the very much improved field goal and free throw and three pointer. He He's, you know, obviously improved a lot. He's going to look for somewhere where they he's, he's needed and wanted. I just don't see Gonzaga being that place completely. And I don't know. It seems like one of the more less likely teams, but I just see Tennessee as someone I like because I know they they lost. Uh, oh, who was that? Kenny Chandler, I think. Right. Um, I feel like maybe Tennessee. There's maybe Marquette. There's that's the thing about the transfer portals that you know we'll never really know until it actually happens. But I see like I feel like top will, for me will probably just be like probably Marquette or Tennessee, because I just see Tennessee as just being, like, a really up-and-coming team. I hated to see them go out as early as they did. I thought they would make a much deeper run than that. Um, I feel like maybe adding him will add just much-needed firepower. He is a very good player. Maybe getting him on Marquette, you know, being a first-round exit, I think. But there's there, he's, he's such a good player, you can probably slap him in anywhere and he'll be good. But I, I'm just not quite sure. What do you think? I mean, when looking at this, I'm going to go ahead and immediately eliminate some of these teams from 247. I don't think Marquette's going to be in there. They got smashed in the first round of March Madness. And though I like Shaka Smart as a coach still, I, I just don't think that Marquette's going to have enough to offer for him. Again, I'm also going to say no to Xavier because of the fact that they have a new head coach. Um, I just don't think it's smart to go into the program that's going to have to be uh, that's going to be leading the way with, you know, new talent and already losing guys like the, I'm forgetting that wing's name, but the one wing from this upcoming class is now rumored to possibly go to VT after decommitting from Xavier. Um, NC State's definitely a no when they already have one of the better players in the transfer portal. Uh, and then I'd probably also say, Miami's a no just because the fact that McGussie and Charlie Moore are going to be gone. I wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah Wong decided to hit the draft with that in mind as well. Uh, and even if Isaiah Wong doesn't hit the draft, I don't know if Isaiah Wong is enough to dra- uh, dra- uh, drive him in. And then honestly, I'm also going to say no to Ohio State just because Ohio State's going to be losing uh, big, uh, big players in EJ Liddell and Malachi uh, Bronham. So again, like there's a lot of teams that are kind of in transitional periods for a guy that's probably going to be looking to be towards the best um, in, you know, 
one of the best you know teams in the nation. That's why Duke is in my top three, though. Granted, yeah, they have a new head coach, and yeah, they have a lot of young players coming in. But not only are those young players some of the best in the nation, uh, but Duke is just a huge program in college basketball. So I think that allure of going there is something that you really can't avoid. Um, Tennessee is a possibility. I, I, I like the shout, but I'm going to avoid them for now just yeah, from fair. just from their struggles in March Madness recently. So the other teams that I'm going to include in there is Purdue because he is an Indiana native. So I think going, uh, going back into uh, his home state to play for Purdue uh, would ultimately be a very, very big thing for him. And then honestly, the other two teams I'll mention here, I'm going to mention Gonzaga as a little bit of a left field shout, just because I think if they do get Drew Timmy back, this would be a huge recruiting opportunity for uh, Pac because playing alongside Drew Timmy, I think would be a really good one to punch. Um, and obviously Gonzaga's done a lot of uh, like, you know, has been very talented in college basketball for a while now with Mark Few. But another team that I'm going to have in there is Arizona. And it's Arizona's because, you know, uh, Tommy Lloyd had an incredible year. Uh, this is a team that, you know, you can't really stop singing the praises of. And I think that if they can even have like one of those guys recur, uh, like return, uh, like one of their bigs, Benedict Mothran probably won't return. But if they can at least have one of their guys return from this incredible run, I think that uh, bringing Nigel Pock, he just kind of be an instant replacement. And I think that they would do really, really well there. <coughs> I had to cough for a second, but yeah, that's my four Duke, Arizona, Gonzaga. And then the other two I mentioned was Purdue. Um, I think he's going to go to a big team. He honestly deserves it. He's a really, really good player. So with that in mind though, we'll see if there's uh, more transfer portal stuff that we can talk about in the future, but that's, gonna be it unless unless anything crazy has happened that's it for the 304 sports podcast um before i cough uh, of course snake has been a pleasure to uh be, uh be on with you again um we have a lot to talk about here in the coming week uh obviously we have another mock draft that's going to be coming out this uh this week um with the eagles and new orleans straight in mind but obviously as we are getting more into mock draft season but we have a lot of other pro sports stuff to here that we're going to be able to talk about as well with the Champions League progressing. Um, you have the NBA and NHL that are going to be getting uh, set and ready for their playoffs. And a lot of other stuff here that's going to be coming around in the world of sports. So hope you guys continue to listen here with us. And it's been a lot of fun to talk. And we'll be willing to talk more here later this week. Uh, thank you all very much for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. And please have a great rest of your day.